Amen. If you go ahead, we'll dismiss our kids to go to uh, kids service, their large group. And as they make their way, parents, just so you know, they're going to stay in large group the whole time today. So you'll pick them up in the 312, which is our big room uh, down there. They're going to have fun uh, learning more about the fruit of the spirit as they continue to make waves. We're making waves all summer in kids, not just VBS, uh, seeing how they can change the world around them by living out by the power of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. And what's cool is uh, this month's memory verse for our big kids, our elementary kids, is one verse that uh, Nathan started this whole series on of he who began good work in you will be faithful to complete it as they look at Philippians 1, 6. And last month in June, our preschoolers memory verse is a verse we're going to talk about today that was just read, a verse that has been misused and taken out of context quite a bit that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, my son was gonna get up here and like quote that for you, but he got a little embarrassed, but he's like so into strength right now. He's gotta be the strongest, he's gotta be the fastest, and he loves showing you his muscles. And those that are uh, part of his baseball team and saw him last week at VBS, no, he's all about strength. And kind of one of the ways we see this verse is people use it in the wrong ways. And now, I'm not gonna say who was gonna do this because sometime when I get to preach, this is gonna be a live illustration, okay? It couldn't happen today. They're not here. I already said too much, okay? And uh, just so you know, this this person is a trained, she's a trained, I said it again, too much. She's a trained black belt, okay? And I was gonna have it, we were gonna have the power team up in here this morning, getting it pumped up. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, And guess what? They can break a board by kicking and chopping. And we're gonna be like, yes, pumped up. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? And then I was gonna try to do it. And it wasn't gonna happen, was it? Because that's not really what this verse means, taken out of context. Yes, we can endure all things through Christ who gives us strength. But we've taken this verse It's been misused. It's one of the top verses that's searched and used. You can see it on sports uh, all around. That and John 3.16 are two top verses that are searched and Googled and used, uh, some out of context and some not in in, in the right context. But all that to say, it was going to be awesome, but I can't break a board because I'm not a trained black belt. So what does this verse really mean? Well, as we read in the context of the scripture, today we're going to look at contentment. And if you didn't know, um, my name is Will Grunewald. I'm so glad uh, to be here again. Surprise, I'm back up here. Uh, I want to pray for Nathan as he's not feeling well, our interim Bible teacher. And to get you excited, next week we start a new series in the book of Jonah. And so today we're going to finish out Philippians. And uh, there's a lot to cover. I think I said that last week. Um, but I'll tell you this, it was kind of a surprise last minute. So last week, our word was peace, right? Our big thing we looked at was peace. So this week, our big word is grace. I hope you show me grace. Um, we're going to show each other grace. Uh, and when you're going to look at the thing is this, what is grace? Well, in the old Testament, the word, it's going to sound like a chicken, but the word hen is the word they would use as grace. 
which means it was favorable, it was desirable, and it was used in a lot of terms as giving of a favorable or desirable gift. In the New Testament, the word grace used is charis, which actually means a gracious gift. So how we break that down is mercy is when we don't get what we deserve, and grace is when we get something Sorry, again, show me grace. Mercy is when we don't get, we deserve punishment and we don't get it. Grace is we don't deserve it at all, yet God lavishes it upon us. And so today we're gonna see in contentment, it's all rooted in God's grace. Now, I was originally scheduled to preach this passage last week as we finished out Philippians, but our schedule kind of changed. And I'll be honest, I was more excited to preach last week because even though it was a hard subject of anxiety and trusting God, it's been my life verse. I love it. It's such a powerful passage. This is too, but I'm just going to tell you, this hits home as God speaking and talking to me of how discontent we really are, how discontent I am, how I need to be more content in who God's made me, where he has me and the giftings he's given us all. Now, if you don't know, I, I do have my Shark Week socks on. Now, Shark Week is uh, a little bit away. So, okay, anybody love Shark Week in here? Any Shark Week fans? Okay, I got, I got, wow. Okay, I'm a nerd. All right, I love Shark Week. I grew up loving Shark Week. Um, and so I use Shark Week quite a bit on uh, an illustrations and analogies. And this one came back in 2014. They had a show, if you remember watching Shark Week, called Zombie Sharks. Anybody? No? Okay. Not like real zombie sharks, like the cheap sci-fi channel movie, okay? No, this is like, what they did is they would put sharks in what is called uh, this, this catatonic type state called tonic immobility. Now, a lot of People use this in aquariums and things for sharks and, and big fish. Uh, they, they flip them over. It puts them in this catatonic state so that they can study them, check them. Uh, they actually like kind of relax. They, they calm down, their breathing slows. And scientists aren't really sure why it does that because it's not a defense mechanism um, because we're gonna see orcas actually put great whites in a catatonic state so they can like eat them, okay? so. Why do they do this? We're not 100% sure. But what happens is on this video, Zombie Sharks, this guy had this like chain mail on, right? Because of course he needed to protect his hand. Um, but if you didn't know, sharks have all these electrosensory things in their nose and their snout. Now I can't tell you, I can't pronounce the name um, of like what the scientific name of it is called. So show me grace there. But what it does is they can detect electric impulses. And what this guy did is he took his chainmail hand and he would rub really fast and really hard on their snouts, all kinds of different sharks, to sensory overload their electronic impulses. And by doing that, he would be able to flip them over and put them in this tonic immobility. Now, that's kind of what we feel like, right? In our society, with social media, with advertisements, we feel like we are sensory overload. I mean, just walk into Buffalo Wild Wings and someone who has sensory issues and they would just like 
bounce her face. I, I do it, right? Like, we, I, can't, I hate going to places with lots of TVs sometimes, unless the game's on, right? Because I just want to sit, and I'm like, watch, and I don't pay attention to people. We get sensory overload, and that's what these sharks would do. And one of the cool things he did to this 15-foot tiger shark, okay, one of the most dangerous sharks of all, right? He didn't fully flip it over, but he had it in such a state of tonic immobility that this thing is at a 90-degree angle, and he is just rubbing its snout. I'm like, dude, your arm could get bit off. And the shark is just at his whim and will. And now this tonic immobility, like I said, might seem like the shark is in a content state. But in reality, it's kind of defenseless. It's a false contentment. Because as I said, orcas use this. They attack great white sharks at their snout and they try to use their sonar and things to flip the shark over to leave them in this tonic immobility so that they can eat what they want out of the shark. A false contentment is really discontentment. We see it with ads, advertising today. Now, we get to like skip ads now, right? But your phone is always listening. Just so you know, before service in here, the, a lot of deacons, a lot of great men went through because there's like, you know, these black chairs, they show a lot of stuff and hair and some of you ladies like have hair and some of you people in here, I don't know who it is, but like sometimes we find like fingernail clippings and stuff, okay? Like that's for home, all right? But we find all this stuff and we got these cool little things, okay? These uproot cleaners, if you want to get them, they're like a fancy, fancy like uh, lint roller, but it's not like sticky. It like actually like scrapes everything off the chair. Now I ordered these because we have them at home. It worked for our carpet. The people living before us had a dog and they had lots of hair everywhere. I was like, man, we got to get these for church, for the chairs. Well, they came out with like an XL version, and that's what uh, I ordered for the church. Don't worry, they're not too expensive, but they work great, okay? And so, all these men are like cleaning all this stuff off. And when I remember when they came in, I went to our director of operations, like, look, I got these awesome things, but so we don't lose them, you're going to be in charge of them. Now, she had never heard of what they were. She didn't know what they were. But then the next day, probably because I bought them and it knew my phone was near her, an ad for that thing showed up for the very first time. Your phone is always listening. It knows what you're talking about. Sometimes do you feel like your phone knows what you're thinking? Like, man, I just need a new shirt or new shoes. And all of a sudden, boom, there's an ad. Like I hate the Amazon ads promoted. Because you purchased this, you might like to buy this, right? It's kind of scary and it's kind of crazy. But marketing knows that if it can get us into a state of discontentment, we will always want more. Just look at the iPhone. A new one comes out every year. And you can even get a new plan where you can update your phone every year because we're discontent with the camera that is on the old phone. We want new features. We want a faster processor. We live in a state of discontentment. And so here... In Philippians chapter 4, ending the passage 10 through 23, Paul is addressing, he's giving us encouragement and contentment. The late, great David Foster Wallace said this, the great lie of the ocean liner cruise ships is that enough pleasure and enough pampering will quiet the discontented part of you, when in fact all it does is up the requirement. He says, I can remember being 24 years old and having my, you know, smiling mug in the New York Times book review and it feeling good 
for exactly like 10 seconds, the book is over and you're hungry for more. So you figure out that the real problem is the discontented self, that all this stuff you think will work for a second and then all it does is set up a hunger for more and better. We know contentment is real. We want to feel it. This even false contentment, if I just have the next thing, if I can just get to the next stage in life, if I can just have this or have this type of relationship, we think we will feel content. But really contentment sometimes feels like chasing the wind. We feel its effects. We can see that it's real, that it's something we need to strive for, but we can't grasp it. So the question is, what do you picture as contentment? I want you to think about that. When you think of being content, maybe it's like we talked about last week. We talked about you just having peace or an absence of conflict. Maybe it is that next step in life. You think, if I can just get to this point or get through this season, I'll be content. You might even be thinking contentment is having everything to yourself. But I think we need to define contentment. The Oxford Dictionary defines contentment as this. As an adjective, it says that contentment is in a state of peaceful happiness. In a state of peaceful happiness. As a noun, it's a state of satisfaction. A state of satisfaction. We learned last week that happiness is not everything and that really and truly we need joy in the Christian life. And so true contentment in the Christian life is joy and satisfaction. And we can see why that is so elusive. I'm about to read you a poem that a 14-year-old wrote a long time ago, but it was so famous it got published in all kinds of newspaper. And again, this person that wrote it, uh, Lemon, is his last name. He was 14. And I just want you to think. I just want you to like close your eyes and listen, and maybe this is how you feel. He writes this. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves, the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was now winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. See, this passage hits home. It's so hard. And again, I'm preaching. I feel like I'm, you're just here for me to preach to myself, okay? We always want more. We're always so discontent. But God wants us to be content in him no matter the circumstances. 
So I, I didn't come up with this on my own. I got this from a faith-based life coach. He shares this quite a bit on Twitter just as a great reminder, BJ Thompson. But today's target statement, our main point, if you don't remember anything else, and what I mean by target statement is this is what we are aiming for, is this. Until Jesus is enough, nothing else will be. Until Jesus is enough, nothing else will be. Let's just go to, again to the Lord in prayer. I want you just to think that you, as Jesus said, we, we can be alone even in this large room. You can get alone with the Lord. I want you to imagine that you're going into your closet, your secret space. And I want you to close the door. And as you turn around, I want you to see Jesus sitting there waiting for you. And as we sang, nothing is better than him. Maybe you just need to cry out just like we sang that here's my heart, Lord. We've been searching for all the wrong things. We've been discontent. Here's my heart. just ask that he would speak to you, that his spirit would come in today and, and move within us and change us, that we would leave differently than when we came. And as I said, I'm speaking to myself, Father, I, I, I ask him that he would just open your heart to be receptive to the word that he has for us today. Lord, I can't fathom, but you heard everyone who cried out to you. Lord, I pray that your word would teach us, that you would speak through me. And as we sang, you would show us what is true. And I pray that we would truly live out that you are enough. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. And so, our first point today we see in verses four, uh, 10 through 13 is this. When Jesus is enough, we are empowered to be content in any circumstance. When Jesus is enough, we are empowered to be content in any circumstance. He says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul has found the true secret of contentment that Jesus is enough. See, true contentment is the ability to face any circumstances, whatever the situation, and your contentment is unwavered. But we have to hear this. This is not something we can just, it's easier said than done, right? 
This is something we have to learn. And Paul says it in this passage. He has had to learn to be content, which means this. When we go through hard circumstances, God is trying to teach us something. See, this is a man who has found true contentment through going through a hard life. Now, you might say, well, Paul, that's easy to write down. But let's remember what all Paul has gone through. He's been beaten for the gospel. He was stoned so much by people throwing rocks at him that they thought he was dead and left him on the outside of the city. People came and cared for his wounds. He got back up and went back in and preached the gospel even more. Paul has been put in jail multiple times. Even again, writing this letter, he is being guarded on house arrest by a Roman official. In another letter, he tells us he's been shipwrecked three times. I let alone don't wanna go through one shipwreck. And he says that even he spent one day and one night out at sea. I can just tell you this, being alone out at sea, like drifting, no land in sight, is like one of my biggest nightmares that I have. Why? I think it's because you're out of control there's nothing you can do but just hang on to that floating wood, right? We all know from Titanic there's a big enough piece they both could have got on, okay? But Paul it says, I've been shipwrecked. I've been left out at sea. He was bit by a poisonous snake and survived. Paul has had a hard life, and he's learned contentment no matter what. He says he's had plenty when people give him gifts, when his tent business, because that's what Paul did. He was a tent maker for people. When it's going well, he's blessed, but he's also been content when he's had nothing. He's learned it. And when we go through hard circumstances, this is something we need to learn as well. Now, the Greek word for contentment means self-sustaining. This is something the Stoic philosophers of that day, Paul would throw up. He, he was telling them, hey, you've heard this word contentment before, but I, as Paul does very recently, even last week, looking at all the things we were to think about, he takes these ideas in Greek culture and transforms them for the gospel. This idea of contentment was self-sustaining, that you can self-sustain, that you yourself can find contentment in what you do. But Paul says, no, the true contentment is not in self-sustaining, but we have to be Christ. It has to be Christ-sustaining. See, the idea, I love this verse. Again, here it is, Philippians 4 to 13. Here's my say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I, I use the NIV today because I love how it translates this passage. It says this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What's Paul talking about with this passage? He's talking about contentment. He can endure anything by Christ who gives him strength. And I'll be honest, I don't know if this is 100% true, but I, I was looking at one commentary and it said this word for strength in, in the Greek is kind of where we get this idea of a blood transfusion. Now, if you didn't know, uh, in the month of June, our daughter had her a tonsillectomy and adenoidectomy, had those things taken out, um, and very rare, again, 
Of course, it would happen to our daughter, uh, but they hemorrhaged and she bled a whole lot and we didn't know it until uh, she wasn't feeling well and lost a lot of blood. We were sent to Children's in case she had to get a blood transfusion. Luckily, she did not. She's doing great, recovering well. You probably heard her singing uh, really loud up here earlier today and even on stage doing Make Waves. But this idea of strength comes from this idea of being transfused, that we get blood transfusion. Why is that so powerful and important? Because our strength is not something that comes from our own, but it's something that comes through Christ, that he transfuses his strength, his power. He empowers us. Now, I love this quote by John Piper. I don't agree with everything John Piper says, especially some things that have come out lately with their church and, and some uh, dealing with abuse. But back in 1986, he wrote a book called Desiring God. And the main quote from that book is this, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. What a powerful truth. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Christ leads us to true contentment. Now, true contentment in Christ is gonna lead us to some fruit, to some action, some application. And the first one is this. When Jesus is enough, we are empowered to give generously. When Jesus is enough, we are empowered to give generously. All right, the kid guy's up here talking about money. Okay, this is great, okay? Not really, this is hard. A lot of pastors, it's hard to talk about money, even for myself. Why is it so hard? Because money can have such a stronghold in our life. But this is more than just money. But we have to ask the question, right? Is money bad? I don't think so. I don't think wealth, having wealth, is bad or sinful in of itself. But we have to ask this question, right? Does this, do you have stuff or does the stuff have you? Do you have money or does money have you? God can use our wealth. I mean, just if you look at America, you have a house, two cars, you have running water, electricity, you are wealthier than almost over 90% of the world's population. David Platt in his book Radical talked about a moment he was preaching in a foreign country and a woman came up to him after preach and he says, you know why God has blessed you Americans? And he said, no, I, I don't. Because get it, we, we didn't choose who our parents were. We didn't get to choose where we were born. But she looked at him and said, you were born in America God has blessed you so that you can bless others. That is the heart of being to give generously. But money and wealth is not bad in and of itself, but the love of money is. First Timothy says this in two different places in chapter six. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap. And many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. And Paul echoes what Jesus says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. He later on says this in chapter six, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or not to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so that they may take hold of life that is real. See, we can have differing theologies. There's the prosperity gospel, which says, if you just have enough faith, God is gonna bless you with more wealth. There's also a poverty gospel that says wealth is inherently evil, that you should not obtain money at all, that yet we should live in poverty and obtain nothing. We see this in those that kind of go out in the desert, uh, the desert fathers. I think, as I said, we need to be in the middle. God has blessed us so that we can bless others. And you might be asking yourself today, again, kids guy talking about money, oh no, he's just up here, it's your first time. You're like, oh, they're asking for my money. They want me to give money, okay? I don't want you to hear that. What I want you to hear is giving generously is more than just our money. It's of our time. It's of our giftings. God has blessed us so much. What can we give back to him? Because here's the kicker. Our wealth, our gifts, our life, even our children are not our own, they're his. You see, we aren't owners of our life, we are more managers, we're stewards. We're not called to own and keep. We don't get to take our stuff with us. Pastor Robbie Gallaty used this illustration uh, a couple weeks ago and I, I love listening to it because he said this, imagine that you are given a chance that you get to go work overseas for three years and you will make more money than you will ever have in your lifetime. But you can't see your family or friends for three years. And where you live there, you can't take anything back with you. So when you buy a house, when you buy your furniture, anything you put in your house, you can't bring it back. The only thing you can bring back is the money that you send ahead to your bank account. Can you imagine if this were happened? Of course, a lot of us would take that opportunity so that our children's children could be financially stable, right? But if you get overseas, and I don't know, you pick your favorite place, maybe it's Italy, maybe it's somewhere in Asia because you love Asian food. I don't know, you get to pick the place. But are you gonna fill your house with handcrafted furniture and hand paintings, uh, famous that are worth lots of money, or are you gonna, just gonna go to Ikea and put stuff together, right? But imagine you do fill your house with expensive things because you have the finances, you have the money to do it, so why not live it up for three years while you're there? And the deal is, remember, you show up to the plane to come back home and you have a U-Haul full of stuff. And the pilot says, nope. You forgot the deal. You can't take it with you. I hope you sent your paychecks ahead to your bank account in America. Can you imagine the devastation if that were real, if you got to do that and you didn't send your money ahead but you spent it all while you were there? 
The idea is this, we can't take our stuff with us. The world says the one with the most toys wins, but in reality, you can't take your toys with you. We have to know we are stewards. We are just managers. You see, God's economy is different from the world's economy. Now, where we get the word economy comes from two other Greek words, uh, one meaning house and one meaning managing. How you manage your household. As we talked about with advertisements, the world wants you to be consumers, to have more, to be discontent. God's economy says, no, no, no. I don't want you to be discontent. I want you to be content so that you can give more away. Now with giving, we see tithing in the Old Testament. Tithing is a 10% of what you have. But if we look at the New Testament, they don't speak about tithing anymore. They just talk about offerings and gifts. Why is that? Because 10%, that tithing is a good place to start. But God wants us to give abundantly more. He wants us to give sacrificially. He wants us to give our money, our time, our giftings sacrificially to where it hurts. Why? Because Paul says this. He talks about how giving uh, in verse, uh, where he talks about how that it is a fragrance to God. This is an act of worship. But I do want to brag on you, Journey. If you will call this your home, we know we've been through a lot in the last six months. Can I just say, where we are financially now, we shouldn't be there. Again, I don't know if it's okay for me to say, but I'm just being open, guys. We shouldn't be in such a good spot of where we are. But you know why? It's because you've given generously. You've stuck with it through hard times. You've given sacrificially and we're at a place where we can do ministry where we can still meet the needs of people and share Jesus and I just want to brag on you guys for that because that is awesome with everything we've been through we shouldn't be in this financial position but God has blessed us he's blessed you and you've blessed this church so we can do his work and there's three things you can hear about being a generous giver one is of course, you can be convicted. You're like, oh, I'm not giving enough. But remember, God doesn't want us to give out of just sorrow. He wants us to give out of a cheerful and overflowing heart. Second Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And for some of you giving, it might not even, you might not even be able to give the 10%. Life's hard. It's tough right now. Inflation is killing us, right? And maybe you need to be like the widow's might and give just enough of what you have. Because trust me, when you give, God will bless that back. And maybe you're hearing, I need to give more. Maybe that's true. I'm not going to let, I'm not going to speak for the spirit. Maybe you need to hear that you've been so obedient in giving that you just need to hear that thank you. You need to hear that, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. Or third, maybe you need to hear this, which is our next point. That when Jesus is enough, we are empowered to trust 
in his provision. Maybe you need to hear that God is going to supply your need. You don't know where your next meal is going to come from. You don't know you're living paycheck to paycheck. Trust me, I know how it feels. We live in a society of discontentment. So much of us are built on debt in our lives, credit card debt, car debt, house debt. But know this, we are empowered to trust in his provision. Paul tells them, it's not the desired gifts that he asked for them, but I have received the full payment. Paul tells them, I am amply supplied. And he tells them in 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Your needs will be met when we trust God. We saw that last week in the Sermon on the Mount, looking at anxiety. Jesus says, look, the birds of the air, they don't buy their food at the store. They don't harvest food, but yet God feeds them. The lilies of the field are clothed more wondrous than Solomon. We have to trust that he's going to provide. In the commentary I read, one of the the pastors writing it talks about a youth pastor that was on his staff. Now they had food, they had a meal, but it got to where they were getting paid the next day and they only had 13 cents left in their account. And one of the things they were out of was toilet paper. We know a couple years ago in 2020 when we're out of toilet paper, that's a big deal, right? And so, as silly as it sounds, they took Philippians 4, 6, and 7 to heart and prayed, God, Lord, we need toilet paper. And lo and behold, that night, the youth decided to roll their house. Now, he tells the story. It's really funny. He's like, look, but the youth didn't do it right. They just used one of the rolls in one of these massive, like, boxes of toilet paper. They just used one roll. I guess they took turns and left the rest of the toilet paper, not knowing that's what they needed on the front doorstep. Francis Chan has told a story many times of when they were having a banquet for the orphan and the widows and the needy of their town, they didn't have enough food and they didn't know where they were going to get enough food to feed all these people who were coming. And all of a sudden from a major uh, grocery store chain, this truck shows up, a freezer truck and says, Hey, the freezers at this big grocery store went out. We have a lot of meat. Can you use it for free? God will provide. Even just an example in Jill and I's life, there was a time when we were struggling. We didn't know uh, where kind of, we didn't have enough money to get some food. We're like, oh man, we just need a little bit just to make it so we can get some food. And all of a sudden, get this, not our insurance now, but one of our old insurance companies, and I'm not going to say it because they probably wouldn't want me to say it because insurance companies just don't want to give you money, right? But all of a sudden we got a check because we had paid too much into our insurance, that never happens. That rarely happens. Maybe you've had it happen. I don't know. It was a blessing because it was just enough what we needed to get some things to make it to the next paycheck. God will empower us to trust in his provision. He'll empower us to give generously. And then I love where Paul goes here. He tells us, when Jesus is enough, we are empowered to live and share his grace with all. 
Because he ends, he finishes out this book, our gospel power, gospel joy. He finishes out with closing remarks, just like he does opening remarks. And he says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Paul was in house arrest. And he shared the gospel with all the guards that he came in contact with. So much so that his life, even being in prison, the gospel reached Caesar's household. This would be today, like in America, if we said, hey, Paul is closing his remarks. He says, hey, all the brothers and sisters greet you, even those in our president's household. The true brothers and sisters, they send your greetings. Those that really follow Jesus because he had lived it out. It had reached Caesar's household. This could be slaves. This could be family members. This could be the royal guards, the people that worked within Caesar's household. And this is why God sent Paul to Rome. Because the gospel is for all people. And when we allow his grace to overflow from us, there's no telling who we can reach and who can be changed by his spirit. When he says this, and he ends the chapter with this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Lastly, we can learn that when Jesus is enough, we are empowered because his grace covers us and is in us. I told you last week our word was peace, and this week our word is grace. Grace in the Old Testament was this idea of being favorable or desirable, almost like a fine jewel that you would turn into a necklace that you would give as a favorable or desirable gift. In the New Testament, the word for grace means a gracious gift. Here's the cool thing about grace is it is a gift. But to truly feel that grace to truly have that grace, if it is a gift, it has to be accepted. If we want true contentment, we have to be filled with his grace. Because true contentment is only found in Jesus. And you might be saying today, I'm not content. Maybe as we sing our last song, you will come forward and maybe you just need, as I said, these are not magical, these are just stairs they can become an altar. Your chair can become an altar. When you lay down the things, you say, Lord, I've been living that you were not enough. I want you to be enough. And maybe today you're saying, I'm not truly content because I don't have that grace you're talking about. I've not accepted that gift that Jesus has lavished upon us because true, the most extravagant kind of grace is giving this desirable, favorable gift to someone who doesn't deserve it. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's given us this gift of grace, this gift of eternal life. Live for him and live life more abundantly. Maybe today you say, I need that kind of grace. I wanna be content, so I need Jesus. And if you don't remember anything else, our target statement, what we're aiming for, 
until Jesus is enough, nothing else will be. As the worship band comes, I want to close by just reading the statement. I just want you to close your eyes and I just want you to listen to this summary of the book of Philippians. Because the spirit might move in a way in your heart that has no point that, that I made, but God has spoken to you. And it says this, Paul closes with a word of blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He opened with a grace blessing and now he closes with one. This remarkable letter is saturated with grace from God's promise of completing what he started to the promise we have of being with Christ. To the stunning self-emptying of Christ. To the imputed righteousness of Christ on believing sinners. To the fact that we have a heavenly citizenship. To the Father who hears our prayers and gives us peace. A Father who supplies all our needs. We need to know this grace more. We need relationships and a life oiled in grace. And we indeed should praise God for his grace and favor that brings us great joy. So church, journey, lean in. Let us advance the gospel of grace faithfully and courageously. Father, we need your grace. Lord, whether today it might be your first time to cry out upon God and ask him to show you that grace, that he would save you, that he would change you, and that you would follow him with your life. To those of us in here who, whether you've been a believer for a long time or a short time, we need reminders of his grace. We need reminders in our life that Jesus is enough. And we will only find true fulfillment and satisfaction when we rest in that truth. Lord, I pray as we worship, your spirit would lead us to respond in how you see fit. Lord, that we may cry out that you are everything. Nothing is better than you. Lord, that here is our hearts. May we live differently than when we came. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.